Welcome to Mind the Shift. I am Anders Bolling. In this episode, we're going to learn about a theory about the Earth's geological history that is utterly, completely radical. And I would say that most geologists and paleontologists would probably call it outrageous. And myself, I also find it almost too strange to believe, but but I've come to realize that uh, I'm suffering from limiting beliefs, like most of us are. And uh, uh, I mean, anything is actually possible in this very strange and rich reality that we're living in. Plus, we know much less than we are led to believe about what actually took place on this planet until about, say, 10,000 years ago or so. So uh, welcome to the show, Martin Deje, a.k.a. Mario Bildreps. Thank you, Anders. Thank you for having me on your show. And it's nice to have a talk. Yes, That's it's going it. to be very interesting. And we can start with your name there. Uh, Martin Deje is a Dutch name, but you have a pen name, Mario Bildrep. So can you tell us a little bit about how that how that all started, why you used that yeah, name? Yeah, it's, it's not a very long story, because I discovered my, my theory about uh, 10 years ago. Uh, so I'm already uh, almost 10 years busy with this work. And when I first discovered the, the the main core of my theory, I thought, okay, this is weird. But I have to write something about this. I have to publish something about this, but not under my usual name. Because for two reasons, my name is uh, impronounceable for foreigners, for English speakers. And I published this in English. And secondly, I thought, oh, a lot of people know me. And so this outrageous idea uh, could could offend people in my <laughs> surroundings. So I thought, no, Mario Bildreps is, uh, is is a nice name, and uh, Bildreps stands for building reports. Mm. So it's not about directly about ancientity; it's about reporting about buildings, and then yes. specifically ancient buildings. Yeah, and we're going to come back to that, of course, because that's a, that's a huge part of your theory. Uh, but you have, a, I, you wrote this pre-interview form, so I know a little bit about your background. You, you, you have a background as an engineer, I understand, and yes. you've been interested in these, in ancient history and things like that for for a long time, haven't you? Yes, yes, I am. I've been interested in, in ice ages, Neanderthals, in the stone tools, in how did people live in the ancient times and. Uh, how did they cope with the environment? How did they cope with the difficulties? How did they, um, well, how did they live in general? Live in lived in general in this weird times, and uh, and I often pondered about this uh, when I was a young child and when I was adult. Of course, when I was very busy uh, having career, I forgot about this busy, busy, busy. But then I ran into uh, difficulties in my private life about eleven years ago, and um, then I thought, okay, what what did I actually want as a when I was young? I thought I wanted to be an uh, archaeologist or a scientist or a geologist, uh, studying uh, ancient people, studying uh, ancient artifacts. 
and uh, also dolmens and uh, we call this hunebedden in Holland. We have a lot of hunebedden in Holland. Mm. I lived in, in in the northern part of Holland when I was a, a young child, and there were a lots of hunebedden. And hunebedden is the Dutch word for dolmens. Uh, okay, so those are stone structures, simple stone structures, like two two big blocks, and then there's a third block on top of it, or something yes. like that. Yes, but we have an, a large collection in uh, in northern part of Holland, and they are uh, extremely heavy and big. So I wondered as a child walking over these big stones over the roof, this jumping from stone to stone, and I'm wondering how did these people, ancient people, do this? How did mm. they? raise these 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 standing stones and then lifting this and no one of course there was a museum in the neighborhood and they explained they did it with sticks and uh, stones and lifting but some stones were uh, 10 10 15 tons so it is pretty heavy for yeah. lifting with bare hands so and at I, that time when this happened 11 years ago, you were working as a, you were a businessman, I understand. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. At my own company. At your yeah. own company, okay, yeah. yeah. And you just stopped this uh, from day one to day two, quit my job. I said goodbye. To follow I'm your dream. To travel, I'm going to live, I'm going to uh, explore, I'm going to, uh, well, to, to, to do things that I uh, like to do. And um, and then after a year, I came back, and my I had my uh, my my pockets were empty, but my spirit was full. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so I came back as a as a sort of rich man. And uh, yeah, and this is what you've been doing for for the last eleven years. You've been been doing this research about uh, ancient geology, geological history of of, of Earth. Yes, it started mainly, it's a good question, it started with the questions about uh, ice ages. And uh, I had an, uh, I have an uncle who's a geologist and I often uh, uh, wrote with him through email. And of course, we met sometimes. And we had a discussion about uh, CO2 and uh, about uh, ice ages. And uh, he said, no, ice ages is just Milenkovich cycles. That's all. And CO2 is bullshit. Climate change and about CO2 is bullshit. And so I thought, he's a, he's a clever guy. So I, I, I thought he must be right about this. But then I um, I discovered, of course, my, my, my theory. And I started to talk about him, about uh, maybe there were pole shifts. Because I also, I forgot to tell this to you. I also learned to... Uh, read about uh, Charles Hepgood about 10, 11 years ago. Hepgood, yes, yes. Hepgood. Yeah, I just recently read about his work a little bit, yeah. I, yeah, I and, and Hepgood uh, did a tremendous well job, especially in his time in the, in the, in the late 50s, when he uh, uh, published about uh, <clears throat> the, the, the shift in crust and also read about this. And I talked to my geologist uncle, about this, he said, "No, it's bullshit. It's, it's impossible." <laughs> maybe he's right. Maybe he's wrong. Everything maybe. is impossible until it's proven. Yes, exactly. And then I, uh, I started reading uh, the book of Hepgood in his details, and I understood he had some point somewhere. And also, there were a lot of problems you know, with his theory. But I thought, okay, 
two thirds of the landmass are on the northern hemisphere. So, uh, if this northern pole had shifted in the time frames Charles Hepgood uh, talked about, it might be visible in the orientation of ancient structures. So, yeah. when I was uh, uh, young, when I when I was studying, uh, I often looked in the sky, and then I saw. Um, uh, condensed stripes of air airplanes and sometimes two stripes cross each other and that is always possible when they, when you have converging courses um, but when a third airplane crosses the same uh, point of crossing of the of the other two planes then you can say this is not very coincidental there might be a beacon underneath uh, because airplanes fly over beacons mm -hmm. so okay. they navigate through beacons there's a beacon here beacon there and they go from beacon to beacon yeah. and when you see this crossing point it's not exactly upon above this beacon because they have a sort of radius but you can say okay this, uh, this these airplanes are crossing over beacons and the same thing you can uh, say about the orientation of ancient structures when two structures cross each other you could say okay this is uh, just normal but when the third one crosses the same spot the same area you could say hmm it's interesting because this is it can be coincidence but the coincidence coincidentally the coincidence how do you say this in english yeah coincidence coincidentally or the 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 Likelihood of a coincidence. The likelihood is better. The likelihood that this could be a coincidence already diminishes. Yes. And the more crossings over this typical point, the less coincidence it is. So, okay. okay. Can, can, I, can we just back up a little bit here? Because now you're delving deeply into your theory already, and it's it's, it's wonderful, but... Not yet. Not yet. I'm going to do it to be much deeper. Yes. Yes. Okay. But... <laughs> Just to back up a little bit, because I don't know if my, I mean my audience is is a is a broad and a diverse audience, but I think most of them are not extremely uh, knowledgeable about about the theories about ice ages. Because I mean, at the core of your theory is how are how have ice ages been formed, and and how is this shown in as you say the orientation of very very ancient structures? But the standard theory now the standard idea about ice ages is probably as your uncle said there as far as i understand the milankovitch cycles and the, we're talking about three cycles i think the the wobble of the um of the uh um oh the earth's rotation around the sun mm -hmm. is called the ecliptic that's yeah. there's a wobble there and there's the uh the precession of the equinoxes and then there's the, the wobble of the of the angle of the earth those are the three yeah Milankovitch cycles and they have different lengths and so according to the standard theory is this is it fair to say that this is what people say in the in textbooks that that is what creates ice ages is that right yeah yeah yes there is a but there is a lot of uh, controversy about this yeah it's a theory it's not really proven but it's like everybody believes it so <laughs> it's not proven yeah. I can explain your your audience. Thank you for for uh, for this question, by the way, and uh, for uh, it's a good question. Um, well, just to give the the foundation to lay the foundation for what you are talking yes. about. Yes, 
Yes, Milankovic is about what you say about the the, the, the wobble of the Earth axis. So it goes every 24,000, 25,000 years approximately. Yeah. yeah. And then it is the the change of the tilt. Yeah. So the, the Earth axis is tilted, <laughs> currently about 23.5 degrees, and it goes to 22.5, up to 24.5. So it wobbles a little bit. A little bit, yeah. And then there is eccentricity around the sun of the yeah. orbit. Like a comet also has an eccentric orbit. The Earth also has eccentric orbit around the sun, and this varies. And so these are the three main parameters of Milankovitch cycles. And this... Uh, theoretical model, mathematical model of Milankovitch should explain why ice ages come and go, come and go over the 100,000 years. But there is a problem with this because uh, they call it Milankovitch, um, you can say uh, uh, around the polar circle, there is a so-called um, uh, um, insulation factor mm. and that is the amount of solar energy that comes onto the earth around the arctic circle and these three parameters of milankovitch you can calculate this it's very difficult but you can, you can calculate the amount of incoming solar radiation around the arctic circle that is also around greenland and so on um and then try to explain that this uh, varying solar energy could explain the ice ages. But the variation is so little that you cannot explain this, um, uh, the, the coming and going of ice ages with this tiny, tiny variation. Mm. That is one. And so you can uh, let's say draw a graph of uh, ice ages coming, ice ages going, coming, going, coming, going, and so on. And then you have the three Milankovitch cycles. And then you have on top of this the solar radiation variation. And this is a, a sort of sinus, sinusoid wave. Yeah. A little bit variation, mm -hmm. but it doesn't match. Totally doesn't match. So, and this insulation factor is greatly uh, exaggerated like in stock exchanges mm -hmm. because if you let's say in stock exchanges they they uh, blow up the scale the, the the y scale so then you can see the variations but if you make the true scale from zero to the top of the variation then you see a a little bit variation, but almost a flat curve. And when you, um, let's say, project this curve onto the ice ages, there's no... No correlation. No correlation at all. Okay. So do, so do experts is... know this, what you're talking about now, but they don't really want to talk about it because they think it's uncomfortable it is... that it doesn't... Yes, a real problematic topic because uh, ice ages are never well explained up to up to this day yeah but you um, have this explanation which is i mean it really fits your what you have found really fits your theory and one might say that you have picked your 
the evidence according to your model, but I think I, I think that goes for any model anyway. So, and in short, and here it comes for the audience, be prepared now, here it comes. You propose that what we call ice ages were caused, have been caused by a recurring expansion of the actual planet. Is that correct? Yes, this is the, let's say the, the final conclusion. Yeah. So, and how have you seen this and how have you corroborated this? Uh, it's a long way to get there. Yeah. It's a long way to where get did there. it start? Did you did I, it start by you say, watching these, looking at these ancient structures, or where did it start? Yeah. Where did it start? Um, it's a long way to come to the final conclusion, and I want to say I I love to know the truth. I'm not looking for, uh, let's say, um, uh, uh, expand myself to the audience with a bullshit story so i'm looking for myself i want to know the truth for myself how is it what is the actual truth about our ancient history about what happened to the earth what happened to the ice ages i want to say one more thing about the ice ages uh, there's another thing not only about milenkovich cycles not explaining the waxing and waning of ice ages but also the outrageous eccentricity of the large ice sheet. Yeah. And yeah, I can pull this up on the, from my website, maybe. Yes. We, we, let's look at that uh, in a while. That's, that's really strange. I've been thinking about that too. It's very strange how it, I mean, yeah. how it's skewed to, towards one side of the earth. Yes. Yes. Here you can see it very clearly. He is a sort of condensation of everything, but let's look at the uh, white area. That is the ancient ice sheet. And this red dot on top, pole one, current pole position, red circle. Yeah. Uh, so this is the actual um, difference between the location of the large ice sheet that melted about started to melt about 20,000 years ago, up to 10,000 years ago. And so it's a very strange eccentricity of this. Mm. And when you look at the growth of ice and snow formation every season on the North Pole, up to Russia and up to Canada, United States, it goes fully eccentric, uh, centric, I mean, fully centric around the pole one, our current geopole. So this is actually normal because we have- You mean a normal, in, during a normal winter, you can see the ice The ice formation is is, is, is centered yeah. around yeah. the pole that we have right now. So, yeah. but this, the, the expansion of the, um, of the ice sheet during the last ice age doesn't make sense if you have the pole where we have it now. No. Because it's, no. it's almost all, almost all of the ice she yep. is on top of the of North America and Northern Europe. And if do you have a picture of the Earth on the other side so we can see how little ice it was on that side? Um, I don't have it prepared. But there right was now. no basically no ice like on Kamchatka no. or those parts. Because you, if you you would expect that Russia was uh, entirely covered exactly. with an ice sheet. Yes, but it was not. It was just just the northern northern part of Russia. A very small part. North, northwestern parts, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. But 
uh, it should be covered all the way down to China with yeah. an ice sheet. Yeah. Similar like uh, like let's say down uh, in 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 um, in the US, it almost came halfway the US. I know. Uh, so down to very very warm areas. I mean areas that are very warm today. Yeah. 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 So the mid the, the Midwest, let's say, of the United States was almost covered with a large ice sheet, but that should be the same for for Russia. Yeah. If this was an uh, uh, let's say a pole, our current geopole, geographic pole, was on this position. Mm -hmm. So this is strange as well. So one thing, Milankovic doesn't explain it, and secondly, the ice sheet was very eccentric. So these were these are two things that are weird, very weird. And in the center of uh, this large ice sheet was Greenland. It was the center part of this, let's say, expanding ice mass. Yeah. And that's interesting. So, okay. Back to your question about shall I stop sharing? Sure. We can come back to this these pictures. Yeah. So we can see each other. Um, back to Hepcoot. Um, Hepcoot did some, uh, oh, no, not some, a lot of research about this, this, this crust shifting and the crust in shifting in its totality. So that's also Antarctica. Antarctica shifting. And he had a mechanic uh, uh, explanation behind this because uh, he said okay um you have the 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 uh, um, sort of i don't know the english word for this I've, i just forgot it but this uh, if you take a take a bucket full of uh, full of water mm -hmm. and you swing it around your head so the water keeps it keeps it keeps staying in the bucket you know the centrifugal centrifugal yes thank yeah. you and uh, how could explain this when uh, ice masses a little bit eccentric form around the north pole or south pole it generates a large force a centrifugal force and this centrifugal force just tips over the crust mm -hmm. Could be. I, th I really was intrigued by this idea because he had also some sort of a friend. He helped him with this theory and he made a sort of model how this centrifugal forces could, could, could indeed cause this. But then I realized uh, reading his, 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 uh, his book, um, there were some serious problems with his uh, theory. Yeah. And because he said it is this all uh, crustal deformation or crustal shift happened over the last 30 to 40,000 years. And that's a real problem because Antarctica, we know this is uh, blue ice. Antarctica is already two and a half million years old. So how, how if this crust tipped over, like Hepgood suggested, then Antarctica should melt, and uh, there's no way to 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 have. Uh, to it should have, have melted mechanism. regularly during that period. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. 
And so well, we know it haven't. It hasn't. It, it has been covered with ice ice for at least two million years. Yeah. Okay. And drillings make this clear that the, although the climate very much changed, um, this. Uh, so let's let's take this in. You know, I took this in my back of back of my mind, and uh, thought about this. Yeah. I thought a lot about this, and uh, I'm also not only a thinker or. A, but some people call it overthinking. I'm also a spiritual guy. I uh, me meditate, I do yoga, and I uh, ask, let's say, the higher realm for advice and for guidance. And of course, in the scientific world, this is bullshit. Yeah. But for me, it's not because I. Me neither. I. I yeah, I know. I know. I read your 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 your. Your blog, your website. So that's why I find it found it very interesting to talk to you, because I'm not a believer, but I'm convinced that the essence of our universe and our being is purely energetic, mm -hmm. it's pure energy, and so energy is mathematical, and vibration, and that's the essence of everything. And so I was. Am convinced that when I have serious, serious questions that I cannot solve with thinking, I just ask. Let's say I put out my antenna mm -hmm. and then ask a question, and I sometimes get immediate answer, and sometimes it can take a while. So, let's go back to um, to Habkut and his shifting crust. Hadgood suggested that this crust tipped over a few times. And so he had project, projected a few North Poles, one on Greenland, one on uh, around close to England, one in the, I believe, the Hudson Bay, and, and another one somewhere else. But I thought, okay, if this happened... Um, over the last few 10,000 years, there might be uh, signs of ancient foundations orienting to these poles of Hapgood. And already knowing that the ancient ice mass had its center point on Greenland, and Hapgood also had a pole on Greenland. So I thought this is interesting. So there might have been a geographic pole in Greenland. I don't know the, didn't know the the mechanism behind it. But, I but you mean it. when you're talking about structures being oriented towards this, is that's um, based on the idea that that people have always built buildings or oriented towards true north? Is that your thought here? Yes, not always, but I realized that. Uh, there it's, might it's a be a common feature anyway yes a common feature and you can solve this problem by doing a lot of math um to be sure about this and for example the pyramids of giza are very nicely oriented to our current geo geographic pole within which, which means that they are not built uh, i mean t 50 000 years ago <laughs> because then no this, you sense. can say this for sure yeah. You can say for sure they are originally built uh, 
within, let's say, maximum 25, 26,000 years ago. Probably younger. Somewhere in the range of between 10 to 15,000 years ago. Okay. This is the most probable uh, time frame they are being built. And I can explain it. I, I'm writing a book, of course, and I will explain this all in detail, why I think this. It has to do with uh, also the rotation of the African plate. So they they have built this this pyramid very uh, uh, exactly oriented to current north or current wind direction, cardinal directions, yeah. within 0 0.05 degrees. That's extraordinary. How do you do this? <laughs> Sticks and stones. And because they are, of course, there are, there are ideas about this. How, and there how, are all, there are all uh, all sorts of of calculations you can do uh, uh, from from the pyramids about the the dimensions of the Earth and, and distance yes. to the Moon and distance to the Sun and everything. I I just listened to this actually, but that's a sidetrack. Yeah, it's but it's very interesting because it it would suggest that the meter was already present and that they already knew about the speed of light. That you know, there are a lot of signs. Let's say a lot of red flags that uh, our current explanation of ancient history is is incorrect. Mm. But okay, this is a side step. So, okay, I started to look at orientation of ancient structures, and uh, I started to build a database and of just uh, going to an ancient structure in Google Earth, not physically. If you stand physically at a structure, you're overwhelmed by the size. You have no idea where where geographic north is, because if you take your uh, phone or or compass, your compass will be directed to the direct you directing you to the magnetic north, mm. and not to the geographic north. And this is different. that's right. It's also interesting. Good point. Yeah, good point. Yeah, two different things. Magnetic magnetic north is a let's say an imaginary north. Mm. It's not physical. And the geographic pole is a physical pole. It's the pole uh, around which the planet rotates. You, you will only notice it when you see the sun rise on the spring. Yeah. Equinox, for instance, then you can see it's aligning with the pyramid or something. Yes. Yes. So if you, um, uh, let's say, I don't know, I have no... Um, um, say this in English. I have no um, comment about the uh, advanced uh, advancement uh, or the, the sorry for my stumbling um, how, how much av advanced ancient structures, uh, ancient civilizations were. I don't know exactly. But um, if you want to know seasons, if you want to know time, if you want to know the time of year and so on, uh, and you have no watch, no calendar, uh, you will be looking to the sun. You will look. Will be looking to the sky, to the geometry of the sky. Yeah. Where is the sun rising? Where is the sun setting? And how does it change on the horizon? And then you will understand when the season changes, when the winter solstice is, when the summer solstice is. And this time of year is decisive for, uh, um, let's say, harvesting, for sowing, for 
all kind of uh, interesting things you need to do for, let's say, uh, continuity of your civilization. But okay. Um, so I don't know about this uh, exactly the advancement of a society, of a civilization, but I understand, okay, if they have no calendar and no watches, they might be uh, having the time from the sky. Yep. So they might have been orienting, orienting to this ancient pole. Just take a drink. Robert. Yes. And and you looked for this orientation all, all over the world on Google Earth and you found you found clusters of structures that were oriented towards different yep. yes. points, different north yes. poles. And and Google Earth, our satellites have done a magnificent job because you can very accurately measure the orientation of structures in relation to a current geopole. So I, I started building a database. I initially had 100 structures and already saw a very rough pattern of clustering of Greenland and then started to go to 200, 300, and now almost 1200 structures. And the more structures I gathered, the more, let's say, pixelite, pixelized this, this uh, poles become, became. Mm -hmm. And um, there's some finely, more, more finely tuned, more, more um, exact, or more. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I uh, uh, developed uh, some uh, math around this about, about uh, the where is our two th structures crossing each other's, uh, let's say, northern extensions. Yeah. Maybe I should explain this a little bit. When you have, um, let's say, uh, uh, two cardinally oriented structures, you can look in four directions to the north to the east south and west but when you want to know uh, where the north pole is um, and the structure is on the northern hemisphere you will draw a line on the, from the northern face over the globe yeah get a sort of line yeah this line will pass the North Pole, the geographic North Pole. When I have a second structure, also currently oriented, I do the same. And these two lines cross each other. And this crossing point, that is exactly the geographic North Pole. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like the it's crossing of those two airplanes that you were <laughs> watching. Yes, <laughs> back to this over the beacon. Maybe exactly. this is the time to to share screen again, so you can show these structures and how you have drawn the lines from them to the different um, positions of the North Pole that you have found in your research. Yes, let's do this. I can go back. Sorry for this. Uh... Yes, there you go. Yes, this, this is, is the, the famous image. The famous image, yeah. Yes, and this is, of course, uh, not fully mathematical, but this is for for people who have some difficulties with uh, math to visualize this. Yeah, it's very intuitive. It when you see it moving like this, you can yes, understand. Okay, so the North Pole has been yeah. moving from 
Well, from the south to the north, then, in, from from our perspective. Yes. And how did I came to this 47.1 reference line? Yes, this is the north longitude south. that they are all that the, all these north poles are placed on. Yeah. And this is also not a very long story. I can explain it in short. When you have a big database, you can uh, calculate the average, um, let's say, uh, intersection point of all these pyramids that are located everywhere around the globe. And this, uh, this crossing point is uh, on the southern tip of Greenland. Mm. This is the big, the big point, the big node. This is around this pole four. Pole number four in your yeah. assessment area. So when when is that in time? That is not uh, directly time. This is uh, uh, let's say I have two points. I have our current North Pole. Yeah. This is this red dot with the N. It's uh, above Greenland. Yeah. And I have this second very dark, dense, large node. And I can draw a line between them. And I can extrapolate this line further down south. And then start to calculate the amount of intersections that this line has with ancient structures. Yeah. It might be some some perhaps some uh, something difficult to explain for un understand for people but um let's say this imaginary line is my reference line to make the amount of calculations okay that's that's uh, just uh, yeah and just to make things clear here the, the the oldest structures here according to this assessment here where you have checking the orientation of these structures the oldest ones are the ones that have that are aligning with the southernmost pole on this graph. Yeah. And that's, and if you see the, the graph on top there, yeah. that is that is the, uh, the rhythm of, of ice ages, as far as I understand it. Yes. yes so the, the last um, ice age that ended some um, 10,000 years ago, that's the, is that the, 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 the tip of the uh, graph to the right or? or yeah. Let me explain. Let me, let me explain. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I did this all this all this math math work, and I found a rhythm, a rhythm of very dense intersections, and this is uh, the, the, the these uh, four red dots, pole yeah. two, pole three, pole four, pole five, and there's a rhythm, and then I started looking because these these changing of poles of geographic poles suggest climatic changes, hmm. and so. The best place to look for climatic changes is this uh, Antarctic ice sheet because it goes back almost 500,000 years in time. And projecting the distances of the poles over the climatic changes. So you see this graph uh, left, uh, top left. Yeah. This is XL, and this S, then this M. And then it's L. Yeah. It's the same rhythm as the distance between the poles. Okay. And these are two different patterns because yeah. I have a pattern of ancient structures and I have a, a pattern of climatic changes 
taken from the South Pole. Mm. And they fit on, onto each other as a rhythm. And I can calculate, of course, how much probability two of these independent patterns match onto, onto each other. Yeah. And that is my, let's say, starting point. I can say with a 99.6% uh, certainty that this, there is a relation between the two. Mm. Not 100%. Mm. 99.6%. So, so every this... so every, every, every new position of the North Pole corresponds with uh, an Ice Age period. Yes. Um, and you have gone back for like four Ice Ages or five or something? Um, I went back to uh, 350,000 years ago. Yeah. There is, of course, a pole six. Okay. And but I did was not able to prove this pole sufficiently. So and this is a, of course a, a little bit frustrating, but it's just a fact that it's not a, not able to prove this. But it would be the let's say the the further most left position on the graph, on the top left left graph, mm. and but. The position I, I I found as a relatively weak proof uh, also suggests the same rhythm. So the probability just jumped up to ninety nine point nine, and so on percent with his six ball. But okay. Um, well, but the interesting thing is mm -hmm. that these five poles of let's say four ancient poles um, could explain the eccentricity of the ancient ice sheet yes yes definitely because when when pole five is the oldest the ancient ice sheet could start building from this position mm -hmm. all the way around it around its its pole and then slowly climbing up over Greenland. Over, yeah, that's, uh, that would explain why Greenland is so completely covered in ice, which yes. doesn't really make sense today because it's, it goes for pretty far south, actually. Yeah. The southern tip of Greenland is on the same latitude as, as Stockholm, where I'm living now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. so why is Greenland covered in ice? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. It's yeah. also not explained. So this the theory all, uh, condenses all kinds of unexplained phenomena onto uh, one theory but it's it, it looks it seems to me more like it, it there's, there's a rhythm within one long ice age i mean i'm not an expert expert on, on ice ages and how how long they they are maybe they i've heard some somewhere that that the last ice, ice age lasted at least a hundred thousand maybe two hundred thousand years so maybe within this time frame of you have a time frame here of about three hundred and fifty thousand years maybe within that time frame there was there was a constant "Quote unquote ice age," but it was uh, um, there was a rhythm of colder and milder periods, yep. colder and milder periods, and so exactly. on. And, exactly, and and they happened when every time the pole shifted, which was also, uh, course, which is also corresponding to a, to a, an expansion of the Earth's crust, which is the next thing you're going to talk about, I guess. <laughs> yes, uh, I will. I will come to the Earth uh, expansion. Yeah, it's of course an outrageous idea, 
But it I is. was first <laughs> want to explain a little bit about uh, the ice age graph on the top left, because you see a clear pattern as well. It's it goes very steep up to yeah. a, to a point, and then slowly goes down, steep up. Yes, it does down, and so on. This is this is also a pattern. And what and I what does it show? What what does that graph show? It, the, the, it the shows the the. the the, the say the upward flank yeah shows the recuperation of the biosphere uh -huh. after a crustal deformation mm -hmm. so the crustal deformation is the downward flank and the upward flank then uh, uh, upward flank is the let's say uh, uh, recuperation of the whole biosphere changing to uh, um, um, to uh, uh, adapting to a changed climate I see Of course, this is a enormous cat catastrophic for uh, for uh, for the Earth and everything that lives on it. Yes, yes, I have questions about that. Yeah, there is um, to come to expansion. I have to explain a little bit more about um, uh, the probability that the two that these two patterns match onto each other because the graph on the top left comes from the South Pole. Mm. And, and the South Pole, now this is interesting, the South Pole has not moved. Has not moved. And it's also the, the conclusion, because uh, if the North Pole moved so much, yeah. and the South Pole moved as well, you will never find this matching, matching pattern. So my conclusion is that this proves that the South Pole did not move or hardly move. And that is, of course, uh, it directly comes to your conclusion. Okay, how is this possible? It only can be expansion. What else can it be? Yeah, what else can it be? It can be, well, it's, since it's a sphere, the Earth is a sphere, it has to be some kind yeah. of deformation. Yeah, and there are, of, of course, there are expansionists who who explain the Earth expansion from looking from isochrons. I can, of course, pull this up as well. I, I, I'm back again. I can show this um, uh, this isochrons um, on the on our planet, and let's perhaps talk a little bit about this as well. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, what was that again? The, the ice. What did you say? Isochrons. 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 Um, the growing Earth model. Yeah. Let me say about this map. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Um, this. Uh, uh, isochronic map of the ocean floor and isochron means uh, uh, iso is uh, the same, same. and yeah. chronos time yeah. so this, this red areas are of the same time mm -hmm. and the green areas are also of the same time and so on yeah. and this is should be the proof that Pangaea had existed and so 
Africa joins to South America. Mm. And uh, India was against Africa. And Australia was against Antarctica. And so does Pangea. I guess most of your listeners know this Pangea idea. Yeah. And I've always wondered why, I mean, why did suddenly all the continents started to move around on Earth? I, it never made sense to me, but no, this theory actually makes it make sense. No, <laughs> there's, no, there's no mecha mechanism as, as well. And there were even, they call Pangea the supercontinent. There were even six supercontinents before Pangea. Yeah. Yeah. This is a geological idea. But of course, um, this is difficult to prove. Um, but what is, uh, let's say, let's talk about expansion. There are a lot of expansionists who say this proves expansion. So that, uh, for example, Australia and Zealandia, that is uh, uh, east of Australia, was against uh, South America. Mm -hmm. And so you can all put this on one globe, but a smaller globe. Yeah. Going to be um, a lot, much smaller globe. Yeah, yeah, much smaller globe. About uh, sixty-five percent of the current diameter. So yeah. it's not not very small, but of course, volume goes to the power power of three. About the size of Mars, perhaps, or Venus, maybe. maybe Venus. Yeah, something Venus like is that. bigger than yeah. Mars. Yeah, I don't know exactly, but I didn't look in, in looked into this, but. Um, I had some debates with um, expansionists about their ideas um, because there is a problem with their theory of expansion, of timing the expansion. Mm. This uh, isochronic map is made with um, a constant diameter in mind. Mm. So geologists made this with a constant diameter in mind. This is important to understand. Yeah. Because when you want to time uh, an expanding Earth with this model, you cannot use this time bar on the on the bottom of the map. No. And why not? Because you're comparing apples with pears. Mm -hmm. So you have to... Uh, what you can do is you can say, okay, uh, what I can say for sure is red belongs to red. It's from the same era, the same magnetic orientation. And green belongs to green, to keep it simple. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And what you can what you, what you can see, I mean, as a layman like myself, is that. Uh, large chunks of the sea floor which i mean the the parts of the sea floor that seem to be in between continents uh, uh is younger are younger than yep. other parts of the earth for instance the land mass and also the parts of the the oceans that are closest to the continents which would indicate that well there there, there might have been some kind of expansion and these red areas didn't 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 even exist from the beginning it's it wasn't there it just and when oh, it expanded yeah. it it kind of uh, appeared it just yeah. appeared so yeah. i guess geologically you can see that the the middle part of the atlantic for instance is 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 a, what is it now 10 million years old or something and and uh, 
you look on no, let's say officially not older than 40 million years old so the million. oldest yeah. part the, the the earth is four and a half billion years old yeah this can be proven by by taking rock samples and so on mm -hmm. and i believe uranium dating but the young the oldest part of the seafloor is, uh, is officially not older than 180 million maybe 200 million years old yeah, and how how do they how do these expert these scientists who who are not expansionists how do they explain that? They explain it with uh, the 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 uh, reorientation of the magnetic particles on the seafloor. So hmm. this is this so-called uh, uh, um, how do you say this uh, unpoling um, changing of the poles changing of the magnetic poles the magnetic poles yeah yeah. And there is no, uh, um, let's say, other dating of the seafloor than this uh, changing of magnetic pole. Hmm. It's, there, there are a lot of problems when you look deeply into this um, paleomagnetic uh, science yeah. with uh, the dating of the seafloor. And there's a lot of controversy about uh, the timing and the exact position of poles. Mm. And uh, there is a very good book. Uh, I often promote this, written by a professor emeritus uh, of the University of Arizona, I believe, Robert F. Butler. Mm -hmm. And he fully explains how you come from a rock sample uh, to to etching it in a labor laboratory to. Etc. To to finally dating this, it's an enormous process. Mm. So geologists did this over the course of many decenniums, mm. decennia. Okay, and uh, they they finally could arrive to this seafloor map. Yeah, and um, it's a magnificent work, of course, what they did. It but is. It's but... a, Let's say if I just want to make it simple here now, if you if you have a balloon, let's say you, you want to inflate the balloon and you, you inflate it from, let's say, well, from the, there, is, there is a hole that you're supposed to inflate it from and you blow your air inside in, into that. And that, that should be then in this an analogy, the South Pole, because the South Pole stays <laughs> where it is. Yeah. And then and then the, the Earth... Um, AKA the, the balloon here expands. And if you have a pattern written on, on, on the surface of the balloon, it will, it will move away from each other. It will, yep. I mean, it will steer away from each other and it would look differently. And there will be new quote unquote, new areas created because it's, uh, I mean, the, 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 um, the, the tissue, the fabric of the balloon will, will stretch, uh, in, in yep. some, but, but it will do that, uh, uniformly. But in, in your theory, as far as I understand, I mean, because in this analogy, in this example, the, the so to speak, nor, North Pole of the of the balloon would stay this, in the same place, wouldn't it? It wouldn't move. It would be the same. South Pole. South pole. Yeah, but even the North Pole, actually, in the balloon example, if you if you inflate it um, uniformly. Ah, yes, exactly. So, so, I mean, it's kind of like in your yeah. example here, the Earth isn't actually a proper balloon. It's It's been skewed in a way. It's been, I mean, the Earth has expanded more on one side than on the, and, than on, yeah. on the other. And why, why is that? 
Yes, you you said it very well. You you can see on this map that in the Pacific, on the left of the map, this red area is much much bigger than the, the other red areas. So yeah, I can see that. Yeah. If the expansion theory is correct, then the red and green areas expanded much much more, and so this expansion was not uniformly. And this expansion could explain. Uh, not on a flat map, a flat map, but when, when you project this on a on a sphere, you can see that from its expansion model, Greenland was pushed over the North Pole. Yeah, and I can I can take you to another uh, picture. And that is this one. Oh yeah, that one's cool. Yeah, you can see the yeah. There's a ring around Antarctica. Yes, this. Um, exactly uh, confirms uh, that Antarctica stays on its place because you see this expansion ring mm -hmm. fully around Antarctica and this green and red and a little bit yellow. Yeah. So when expansion is correct, it was somehow moved and pushed mm. from the South Pole. Do you have any explanation for why it was moved and pushed from the South Pole, or is it just just is that just a, yeah. a coincidence or a random? It no, could just no. as well have been some other point on Earth. This this becomes a little bit more difficult area. Um, there are two competing theories. I, I uh, had a podcast with um, the Mystifying Science mm -hmm. a few months ago, and they have a. Um, an explanation from a guy named Donald Petit. He was an astronaut, astronaut, and he said it might have been decompression. So okay. the atmosphere was much denser, not liquid, yeah. much thicker, denser, and so this dense atmosphere could push. You can do cal calculations of this. Push the earth smaller mm -hmm. and if you push this smaller then you can join uh, all these all, all these continents together and this could explain why dinosaurs grew so large mm. because they were supported by a much denser atmosphere like like a wheel in the water yeah 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 but of course not and also the density density was i mean gravity was much uh, lower because the, the earth was smaller that's also one factor isn't this, it? this is a, one competing theory let's say uh the density was the same but the atmosphere was thicker oh yeah so this thicker atmosphere pushed mm. the earth smaller the, gra the, gr the gravity was was yeah probably similar. Lower. similar okay yeah 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 okay and then the other is expansion, and most expansionists cling on to this idea that somehow the Earth gained mass over time and grew from the inside. Mm. And that's a question. I mean, from where does this material come? How can it grow from the inside? That's a very yeah. difficult one to understand for a layman. Yeah. Uh, the most likely explanation is from the sun, coronal mass ejections from the sun that are caught in the magnetosphere. So the magnetosphere is a, pretty much larger than the Earth itself, about four to five times larger. Mm -hmm. So when a coronal mass ejection, uh, uh, several types of 
flares, coronal mass ejections. They uh, have several classes of large leanness. Yeah. The X flare is the largest one, and they also, like in earthquakes, they classify them in one, two, X1, X2, up to X10. But then, of course, they are, like in earthquakes, there are X flares that fall off the scale. Mm. But when such a large uh, coronal mass ejection could hit the, hits the Earth, the magnetosphere catches all these subatomic particles and the subatomic particles are guided through the magnetosphere to the flux lines flux lines slowly into the core of the earth mm -hmm. and then uh, transformed into uh, mass of yeah so it's it, it but it on, on its transportation on its way down into the core of the earth it, it's never manifested as matter then not yet no, it's only when it, it when it arrives. Yeah, subatomic particles are not, uh, let's say, uh, atomic particles. No, they, no, they can things, yeah. more easily travel into the earth than than. Uh, of course, it is fringe science. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> it's very, it's very far out, so to speak. It's but, very far out, but it's very interesting. I mean, what what. What do we know? We don't know anything. We don't have any clue about what happened. We have to no this clue. Planet. We we have no clue. So why not? I mean, yeah. Why not? But I uh, I tend to 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 bend more towards decompression because decompression explains it so well. And and I will also explain why because these. Um, these X flares caught into the 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 net of the magnetosphere and are guided into uh, into the core of the Earth. It's a little bit artificially constructed. I want to have a theory for my expansion, mm. and but decompression. I think wow, because the 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 atmosphere could have been blown away by a large X flare bit by bit, and this could explain, um, let's say, that the atmosphere became less dense over time. I'll just quit that, yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you. Um, so that the atmosphere became less dense over time through these uh, X-flares that hit the Earth. So the, the Earth atmosphere loses mass. But why, why does this happen uh, recurrently? I mean, why, I, one can understand that, that it happened once, but it seems as if it's happening rhythmically almost. Rhythmically, yeah. yeah. It seems to happen rhythmically. There is a rhythm of about 500 years of a big, big event. 500,000 years or five? 500. Oh, 500 it's, years. It's 500 years. Okay. So every time, like, a, let's say, a little, little hit of uh, of hail to the mm -hmm. earth losing mm -hmm. every time a little bit mass a little bit mass okay so this process takes on it it it, it continues almost uh, invisible and so slowly losing uh, atmosphere slowly losing compression mm. so the earth starts to decompress it's a very nice theory of uh, donald petit 
So de decompression is your your main theory about decompression. Yes, yeah. so I tend to lean towards decompression. Yeah, that's why the Earth has been expanding. Yeah, but there is, of course, uh, we talked about the time frame of these isochrons of the ocean floor. Yeah, these red and these green areas. So you cannot use this time frame for your decompression or your expansion because the isochrons are made with a fixed diameter in mind. Mm. And this is, this, you must understand this in, intuitively. Mm. You cannot use this. Uh, now, are there any, I mean, you you say you're a spiritually inclined person, but are you also into reading ancient uh, spiritual texts, for instance? And are there, in that case, are there any references in to this earth expansion in ancient texts? Have you seen anything like yeah. that? Yeah, you have. Sure. Yeah, I I read read uh, uh, the Emerald Tablets uh, of uh, yeah, Thoth or uh, talks about Hermes uh, Trismegistus in Greek, I guess. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He talks about this. Um, he talks about uh, the Earth rumbles from the inside, and the and then water came up, and then. The captain from the sky took me and brought me to uh, Chem, to ancient Egypt, mm. and I built my pyramid. So, yeah, but that was that was maybe late. I mean, that's well. There are so many discussions about what what really happened. That could have been the Young Dryas cataclysm that many are talking about, and that's only you know twelve to thirteen thousand years ago. So that, that there was no there was no uh, pole shift at that time, was it? I mean, that was that was earlier. So. No, the young dries. I can show. Uh, I'm I'm the guys of the younger dries. Thankful for, let's say, shifting the paradigm. Yeah, paving the way for another uh, understanding, another look to ancient history. But the younger dries is not the only dip. On the ice, ice sheet of Greenland, because there are 12 or 14, 13, 12, 13, 14 similar dips found on Greenland. Mm. So this Younger Dryas dip, when you when you Google on Younger Dryas, you will find a, a graph just 15,000, 20,000 years, short time. But the ice sheet on Greenland. Yeah, well, I think one thousand two hundred years. Actually, they say. Uh, I mean, the, the the period itself is supposed to be have been about one thousand two hundred years long. Yeah, uh, the period itself. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm sorry, maybe we're referring to something else. No, I'm I'm talking about this uh, younger dryas dip, is taken from the uh, ice sheet of Greenland. The temperature okay. change. Okay. And um, so they can reconstruct temperatures, not only from this ice sheet, but also from tree rings and so on. Yeah. Um, so this shows a clear uh, dip in temperature. But what I want to say is that uh, back to 15,000 years, approximately, you can you can do this uh, with tree, ring, tree, tree rings. Um, but further back is impossible with tree rings. Yeah. You can do this with a 
uh, Greenland ice sheet, it goes back uh, approximately 100,000 years. And in this period of 100,000 years of the ice record of Greenland, you see multiple dips of similar size as the human dryas. Hmm. So this questions, of course, what does the jungle dryas mean exactly? Is it a comet impact? Hmm. Or is it just the stopping of the ocean current? So I want to always promote you. You have to expand your view to be sure about claims you uh, you do about mm. uh, because there are books full of young dryas and civilization stops. It's good. It's good for 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 shifting the paradigm. It's good for paving the way of another thinking way of thinking that ancient cultures are much older. Mm. Maybe it's good. not the whole story. It's not the whole story. Because I think the Earth was hit by multiple cataclysms, yeah. comet impacts, uh, stopping of ocean currents, of uh, Earth crust deformations. So the Earth is not a. We think the Earth is a is a tranquil place, but it's not. We are here flourishing because it's a tranquil place now. Yeah, it's been tranquil for ten thousand years, but maybe it's maybe we're soon out of that. <laughs> yeah, where is our civilization of in uh, when? Uh, a cataclysm, large cataclysm hits the earth. Um, what is being left of our civilization in 100,000 years from now into the mm. future? Not much. Not much. Since we don't build buildings with large stone blocks, which they did before, yes. <laughs> we only build with concrete and steel, and that concrete. will perish. Yeah, concrete will be pushed uh, from the inside by corroding iron. Yes, there will be nothing Crumb left in 100,000 years. Crumbles, yeah. Definitely. And this natural stone, structures made from natural stone, uh, can last for, for millions of years. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, uh, now, in these, um, by the way, do you think that these comet impacts, if there were comet impacts and uh, um, sea current stoppages, as you say, and were they coinciding with crustal deformations or were those different kinds of cataclysm different things or were they different are they uh, do they go together in some way do do for instance do comet impacts trigger crustal deformations that's one side question for instance i don't know i don't know no. to be honest no I, can, I think there can can be multiple cataclysms uh behind each other at the same time yeah uh, different possibilities and there is uh, a curious um, coincidence with eccentricity and ice ages, because that's what I didn't mention in the beginning. Yeah, ice ages and eccentricity go together. That's interesting. That go they go together. Why is this? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I was going to ask about why. I mean, I haven't really understood why. <laughs> why this? Why this deformation actually creates ice ages? Why does the climate change? Because I mean, the, the the radiation from the sun should be the same anyway, no matter what. But yeah, no, it's not. Let me hear. <laughs> radiation varies over time, and there are a lot of theories about this. But we don't know much about the sun over, uh, let's say, uh, one hundred thousand years ago. Yeah, but you say that the the, the deformation, the crustal deformation per se, is the thing that 
that that creates ice ages and changes the climate. Yes. So how yes. is why in what's the mechanism there? The mechanism could be expansion or decompression, and so decompression could be much younger than than we initially think. But why why would decompression lower the temperature on Earth and and create all this ice? It should be no lowering. It is a, a change in uh, because this reconstruction of the climatic changes in the ice sheet, it's a reconstruction, mm -hmm. uh, is also made with fixed planet in mind. So when you, uh, of course, the geologist thinks the planet is a, is a, a uniform, a uniform body. Yeah. It's constant in position, a little bit Milankovitch cycles, mm. but the rest is constant. So the diameter is constant, the geographic pole is constant. And then when you start drilling in the South Pole ice sheet and start to reconstruct the temperature changes with this constancy in mind, mm. but it were not constants, it were large deformations then you will reconstruct automatically these this deformations when you have this constancy in mind. Can you follow me? A, a little bit, yeah. I try to see before my eyes how this Earth is, is rotating and then it's it's um, expanding more on one side than on the other. And then suddenly the area which is cold uh, gets bigger and the... I, but it's 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 a bit tricky to to see. It's tricky, yeah. yeah. It's tricky. And I I didn't did not dive into, of course, a little bit because people expect I explained something about how this is possible. So I dived into this, but um, I stick more to the pattern matching because I believe in when pattern match onto each other, you can say they belong to each other. Yeah. with a probability mm. and how this exactly works that is another step yeah it can take but the, the pole shifts to... as you say the pole shift as you've been explaining and the eccentricity of the of the ice sheet that that makes perfect sense in your model i must say uh, when you explain that so that's i mean that's good enough <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and i want to say a bit back to did you find something in ancient text um I'm not a Bible guy. My my um, uh, my uh, grandfather was a professor in, in uh, the, uh, theology, yeah, and archaeology, both. And he, um, uh, so I'm a little bit say uh, he could read cuneiform tablets uh -huh. as well. Cool. So we translated them. I was so I uh, was captured by this uh, vitrine uh, closet of him mm -hmm. with all these ancient tablets inside. And I was intrigued by this. And uh, so I had a little bit uh, basic from Bible and ancient Sumerians. And I had a very young interest in this. Uh, the Bible says about uh, something about expansion maybe because the earth was flooded with water and of course i'm writing my book 
because I need to explain this all in detail. It's difficult to explain such a big theory in a uh, in an interview of one and a half, two hours. I try, try to do my best, of course. But that is why I'm writing my book. Yeah. Because when the Earth expands from, uh, let's say, a pure landmass, so the Earth was 65% of its current diameter, all the land masses were joined together. There was very little water, just small uh, lakes and a few seas. Mediterranean was there. And um, so it started to expand or decompress somehow. And it, there is um, a material that is called, um, I just now forgot it. I was writing a few days ago about it. Um, I wrote it in Dutch, so I have to translate. Mm. There's a, a, a mineral inside the earth that can contain water okay. under pressure. I just forgot the name. Hmm. Okay. And yeah. No, okay. never mind. Uh, and there's shale, maybe shale? No, not shale. No, it's deeper, deeper, deeper if, down. And it's not hundred. iron, and it's not nickel, and it's no, no. Oh. I can just look it up. Okay. You, hmm. uh, anyway, uh, it contains can contain water under pressure. Yes, it contains water uh, water under pressure. And when the Earth is decompressed, then the water comes out. Is that right? Yes, because it can only contain uh, water under pressure. So as uh, 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 from the moment the pressure is released when the crust starts to break open deeply inside, yeah. and this material uh, releases pressure and the water starts starts to bleed water. Mm -hmm. It comes in in, in in big amounts from from these cracks all over the earth. And this could explain that the water that the earth was totally covered with water. Yeah, because that's a good question. Otherwise, I mean, I was going to ask you about that. How yeah. talking about floods? I mean, if if the, if the Earth expands and the, and the the floors of the seas are the 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 parts of the Earth that expands uh, later, then I mean, where does all the water come from? Does yeah. it does it all of a sudden cool. start raining? But this is an explanation then that it comes actually comes from from the from the inside to a large extent. Then it's called ringwoodite. This. What's the what's the word? Ringwoodite. Ringwoodite. Okay. Ringwoodite is uh, can contain about two mass percent of water of its own mass, so about eight percent volume, and that's a lot. Yeah. There's currently about three times the oceans inside the crust hmm. on water in water. Fascinating. Fascinating. So when you look through your uh, eyelashes to this idea, this, the, the crust starts to crack open. This ringwoodite starts to bleed water in large amounts and flushing over the whole earth. This is what Genesis says. Um, and of course, the story of Noah. And, but this oh, yeah, story yeah. Just, but the there have been, there have been many floods from, from itself. It comes from ancient Sumerian texts. So, 
and so the what the, the 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 earth is covered in water but it starts to expand further from the oceans ocean floor mm. so there comes uh, a volume available in the ocean floor for the water to to flow flow back into the ocean mm. and so the land becomes available slowly again I think this is what uh, could have happened. Yes. Yeah, and several times then. Several times over. Yeah, several times over. Yeah, yeah that's fascinating. I mean, during these uh, expansion periods, which la have lasted for what, maybe hundreds of thousands of years or thousands of years, yeah. or yeah, if, depending on. I think about one million years, perhaps two million years yeah, but... over a longer period. Okay, so it's not it's not from one week to another, but I mean it's uh, it's a period where I, I I assume that there must have been many big earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and um, all kinds of catastrophes going on. So it must have been pretty tough for for any any life that was on the planet during these periods of expansion. Yeah, it was right? very difficult, I think, uh, but there is also evidence that suggests that people still start kept on building ancient structures mm. and uh, so there were uh, certain parts in the world that were not don't want to say tranquil but livable less affected yeah okay less affected so it was possible but of course it was not a, a calm place to be on earth during no. this ten thousands of years yeah yeah long time. okay and it will probably happen again, as as far as I understand. I mean, this wouldn't just end, would it? This uh, no, no. There is not. Uh, the uh, we had the Carrington event in the nineteenth, uh, eighteen fifty nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this Carrington event could have blown away a little bit of the atmosphere. We don't know because it wasn't measured. Mm. How much did we lose of atmosphere? So that's so the, the process continues. Thing now. Yeah. Okay. continues over and over we could still lose a little bit atmosphere so a little bit decompression but i don't know i have to still have to dive more deeply into this topic because my research is yet not done of course and, yeah uh, now this is this is all very very fascinating it's, it's a bit complicated i think people need some time to just ponder this and uh, let it sink in uh, yeah. to understand what this is and and we'll get back to your website and all that so people can look for themselves but if we talk a little bit about the future and and science here what what science disciplines will have to change when this knowledge if and when this knowledge becomes mainstream it seems as it's it's going to change almost every earth discipline yeah, isn't it it hits uh, a lot of a lot of disciplines is a good question what has to has to change uh let's first look at the ice ages and what caused the ice ages and it's now assumed that co2 levels caused this but we know very well for sure that co2 lags on temperature changes so when something lags it is not it's the not cause. it's not the cause <laughs> not the cause and it lags about between 500 to 1000 years on temperature changes so it's a, it's a big lag so it, it 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 follows the changes. It follows the the, the events of the ice ages. Mm. That's the first thing that we have to look at. And and when uh, a climate septic says 
okay, this CO2 currently causing climatic effects is bullshit because when we look at the ice ages, they were also changing uh, CO2 levels. I say, and this will I explain in detail in my book, um, CO2 has two faces. It has, it's a, a coin with two sides. When you look at the ice ages and try to uh, take this back from the ancient past to our current time with all our machineries and all our pollution, you're doing a wrong mm -hmm. job mm -hmm. because these events were caused by crustal deformations and CO2 is a heavy gas and the average density of the combined uh, nitrogen and oxygen these combined uh, masses are lower than CO2. CO2 has the trait to stick low to the atmosphere, low in the atmosphere. And it definitely has a, um, the, the trait to, to block back radi radiation at night. And so this I think this discussion of climate change and so on, that we have to do something, is a little bit frustrating because we don't seem to understand each other. Mm. Yeah, it is frustrating. Uh, I'm, I'm also interested in that issue. And I. <laughs> yes, I, so what has to change in science? First, we have to acknowledge that crustal deformations, deformations definitely happened in the past and that this caused ice ages and ice ages were not caused by co2 so you cannot use this as a as a septic to throw away what humans are doing to the planet a skeptic yeah mm. skeptics yeah skeptics use this, use this all, all, always and there yeah. are a lot of skeptics i know and and then, of course, you have all this archaeology and paleontology and all these disciplines yes, that will have yes, to change yes. as well. Yeah, I I, I talked to an archaeologist and I said, the your timing of Stone Age, Bronze Age, Iron Age is the same uh, as the um, corrosion rate of materials. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, there was an Iron Age, but beyond the Iron Age, you don't find iron because it's all corroded. Yeah, that's true. You will find bronze. Yeah. So you assume you're in the Bronze Age. And I understand you, said to him, because uh, there's no proof that it's otherwise. And then bronze corrodes and you find stone and you go into the Stone Age for hundreds and thousands and millions of years because yeah. no other material is left. Yeah. Stone. It's a bit naive, isn't it? I mean, just to, as you as you put it out now, when you say it like this, it's obvious that you, that the experts, so-called experts, they have just gone uh, for, for the, uh, what's yeah. obvious, I mean, the corrosion speed of these materials, which is... Corrosion speed is one thing, yes. Yeah. And, and then there is uh, another thing that archaeologists are digging deep, deep below the surface to ancient structures, sometimes four or five meters below the current level, ground level, yeah. while 
geology very well knows that the build-up speed, build-up rate of soil is about 1 to 1.5 meters every 100,000 years. Of course, you could say, okay, this was caused by the flood or mud flows. It's always possible. But there is a, a too big pattern for only mud flows to, mm. to hide it behind mud flows. Yeah. There is a clear sign as well, besides orientation. There is a, a sort of pattern that the deeper you become, the more... Uh, uh, more oriented, differently oriented structures also become. Yeah. Uh, there's also a pattern. There's a lot to say about this theory, of course. And and back to your question, what has to change in science? Uh, archaeology is, of course, one of the most stubborn sciences of all. Yeah. Because you're not allowed to enter the scene, to look over their, over their shoulders. What are you doing? Hmm. How do you um, salvage everything you find? How do you date everything you find? Mm. And um, how do you interpret and how do you uh, measure your findings? And I would say a little bit about uh, carbon dating and uh, there's another method, fluorescent dating. There were... Uh, tusks of mammoth found recently and they were dated with carbon dating and then a fluorescence dating and they gave, gave different results. But this fluorescence dating can only be used uh, with specific like uh, ivory and uh, and uh, this sort of things. Mm -hmm. And so this the, 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 the tusks of the mammoth uh, appear to be between 40 to 50,000 years old, while carbon dating gives something like 15,000 years old. So carbon dating is, is tricky. Yeah. tricky because uh, when you go beyond the uh, uh, calibration curve, calibration curve of carbon mm. dating is currently around somewhere 12,000 years old. And everything beyond this 12,000 years old is into the mist. You have to draw a straight line yeah. uh, and, and start to date it then this way back. So this is a sort of um, it's unscientific way of dating. Yeah, yeah. There's, there are a lot of things to say, to discuss with archaeologists. And, and yeah. of course, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a entrenched science. It is. Even do, do you think that society is ready for a new view on these things? And a follow-up question within that question. Do you think, is no. there, what will be the trigger if there is going to be a, a sea change in this uh, field? What will be the trigger, do you think? Do, do you see any things like that? Like, I mean, the the, the discovery of Gobekli Tepe or the dating of something that will upend everything. Is there any kind of trigger like that that you see before you? I don't have currently a clear trigger in front of me. Um, I think it is a very slow process of changes and findings because you know, Homo sapiens, as we are over 350,000 years old with our brain capacity. So what prevented ancient humans from doing the same as we did. Nothing. Nothing. 
well, apart from some earth uh, deformation of the earth crust, some <laughs> once yes. in a while, but yeah, yeah, and you you need uh, let's say for over a, a longer period of time stability to build as as a human being to build a society. It takes a takes a few thousand years to build um, onto your basic foundations to build a, a solid society. It takes time. You cannot, as brilliant as people can be, even three hundred thousand years ago, they cannot build from scratch. Mm. So they have to build slowly over generations, over generations, over generations. Mm. This mm. society, and this society can be wiped away within a matter of years yeah do you receive any support uh from from the mainstream scientific community in secrecy perhaps sometimes yes yes but not not openly no 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 it's too it's too big a step uh, it, it's it's one it's a step in archaeology a big step it's a big step in geology it's it's, it's paleontology it's a all the way down um it's too much, too much to digest for a scientist. And uh, a geologist is also trained in thinking in 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 all these history tables. You know this this, this color table with all these time frames. Yeah, you, there's a fifty ninety five ninety five periods. You have to learn from your head and all these timings a million years ago and so on and so on. When you learn this as a geologist. You already become a little bit entrenched into a way of thinking. Yeah, and this is the yeah. first thing geologists have to learn: this timetable. And this timetable might be wrong, might yeah. not be correct. We see we see this entrenching all, all too much all the time. Now, Mario Martin, uh, where can people go to find your work if they want to know more? Thank you for asking this. They can go to mariobuildreps.com and they can always send me questions and uh, leave comments or perhaps email me. And my email is uh, everywhere in the webpage, buildreps at gmailbuild.com. Okay, wonderful. And now, I'll put links in the description box, of course, also. So, um, Mario, um, Martin Tege, Mario Buildreps, thank you so much for being a guest on the show and I mean, it's been fascinating and and an education, as I sometimes say. A very good conversation. Good luck with your groundbreaking work now. Thank you, Anders, for having me. And I hope you enjoyed it. And it was not too complicated for your listeners sometimes. I think it was fantastic. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.